0: Well, hey, if you have your note-taking sheet, I want you to get that out this morning. And we're gonna be finishing up today uh, this last message in this series called Guardrails. And if you have your Bibles, uh, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter five. We're gonna get there in just a a few moments. Before I do, I just wanted to say this one thing. There were 15 of us, if you heard me earlier, that just got back from eight days working at an orphanage called Rancho Santa Marta in San Vicente, Mexico. And uh, we were uh, about an hour and a half or so south of Ensenada out in the desert where there's this school orphanage and we had a great week just doing projects. There was a group of us that did framing on a new classroom and counseling center for the special needs kids. Uh, There were some that did painting. Uh, They have a peach orchard there that was donated years ago and we had a team that did all the pruning for the orchard. So it was an amazing time. We had amazing food. Thank you, Tony Ochoa, for coming and uh, being our chef for the week. But it was such an amazing time to serve God. And here's a picture of our team. Uh, We're sitting there in front of uh, one of the classroom buildings. There's that mural there. You see one of the little kids that's in a wheelchair in the mural. And in Spanish, it says, Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. And we got a chance to do that. Uh, this past week, and it was, it was truly a blessing. One of the things that, yeah, yeah, you can give him a hand. One of, the, one of the things God showed us is as we began this week, we would have these devotions every morning. We were going through the first part of the book of Acts, and we came into this thing going, okay, here are all these projects that we can do. And you know what God showed us? That we were the project that God wanted to give us a new perspective and a new heart and new compassion. He wanted to move us and shape us and mold us through all that we were gonna do that week to be more like Him. And so it was exciting to see that happen. We left to come back home uh, Friday morning and it was a 15 hour uh, drive back home. We drove all the way down there and all the way back. Uh, We got stuck at the border for way longer than we thought. And so we ended up hitting L.A. at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, so if you're familiar, that's rush hour. And I didn't like L.A. before, and I really don't like them now. You know. But it was a long day, but so worth the week uh, to go out on surf. So... We're gonna be going back there next year and if you've ever thought, hmm, I wonder. There's all kinds of different things. You don't have to be skilled or anything like that. There's just different ways that you can serve and we'll let you know long in advance of that but we'd love to have more people come down and make a difference at Rancho Santa Marta. So anyway, let's dive into this message. Uh, We've been looking at these 10 commandments, 10 of them over eight weeks. And the most crucial thing that we take away from all this is that the 10 commandments weren't given as a condition of God's love and his approval and acceptance. Like God was holding back saying, well, until you really can obey all these 10, until you can really meet the standard, I'm not gonna love you or accept you or approve you. And that's not what these are. They're actually a confirmation of relationship. Because there was a relationship, because God already loved us and accepted us and approved us, he says, I want you to live freely. I want you to live in healthy ways. I have a way of life for you that will lead to better things. And so walk in this way. And that's what we talked about, the guardrails that kept us, that keep us moving and keep us safe. So I want you to think about the people of Israel who are at the base of this mountain. Moses has come down. He's been given these 10 commandments by God himself and he begins to go through them one at a time. Don't have any other gods before me. You know, all the thing, love your, uh, honor your, your mother and father and don't commit murder and don't commit adultery. He's going through all of these things and they're done with nine of them and now God is going to roll out number 10. What should it be? I mean, if you were sitting there going, huh, I wonder where we're gonna go with number 10. I mean, what, what, would, what would you choose? I mean, maybe logically, when you see it kind of all go down, it would be, hmm, that whole idea of, of obeying your leaders, right? So thou shalt obey the leaders. You know, that maybe makes sense in the terms of culture. And there are really a lot of things that you could thou shalt or thou shalt not and be on pretty solid ground. But God finishes with this 10th commandment. And here's what I think. None of us would have picked this one. None of us would would have figured this one out because here's the deal. It's the unenforceable commandment. It's, it's the invisible commandment that from the outside, you can't do anything with. I'll give you an example of it. Have you ever told someone, or if you're a parent, have you ever told your kids, don't even think about it? Have you ever done that? Some of uh, don't even think about it. Now, if, if you were receiving that, or the people you were talking to receive that, and if they really processed through, they'd be thinking this well, how would you even know if I'm thinking it? Like, you you can't know that. It's the threat that you can't enforce because you can't see it. And this last commandment is like that. You can't pick up the phone and call the police on this one. You can't point it out like murder or lying or stealing because this commandment is all about what's going on inside of you where no one can see except for you and God himself. And it stands apart from all the other commandments because you don't know if anyone is actually doing it. So here's what it says in Exodus 20, 17. You're gonna see it on the screen. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, their ox, their donkey, or anything else your neighbor owns. Now, some of you who are literalists are going, I'm good with about half that list, right? I don't have servants, I don't have an ox, I don't have a donkey, so I think I'm all clear on this. But as we've found out throughout this whole series, God's inviting us to dig deeper, to get below the surface, to kinda move things around a little bit and go, well, what's he really getting at here? Well, what does it mean to covet? Well, if you were to look this up, you would see it starts kind of broad and it gets a little more specific as the definitions move on. But covet means to strongly desire, but it's more than that. It's to lust after, but it's more than that too. It's to want something so bad that it hurts relationship to envy or desire something so, so deeply that it wounds and it somehow changes relationship. I'll give you an example. It means you have a hard time getting along with a friend anymore because their house is nicer than yours and it's not even the house anymore. There's just something about the life that your friend lives and maybe the things and experiences that they get to have or the possessions that they have. It can be a lot of things. But you look at those things and you compare them to what you have and you're so envious and jealous and you think, but I deserve those things that you can't even be friends with them anymore. And here's where it kind of shows itself. That if that friend had a financial hard time and had to give up the house or the experiences or the trips or whatever, inside you'd kinda like that. And maybe you'd even feel closer to that person now because they got taken down a few pegs. And you think, why would that make me feel better? Because coveting is going on. I so strongly desire what someone else has or what they are, that it impacts our relationship. Now, there's two necessary ingredients to to coveting. One, there's a strong desire for it. And two, it belongs to someone else. It's, It's not yours. But again, it's more than just desire by itself because we all have desires. We're all moved and motivated by desires. And the truth is, is there's nothing wrong with wanting or pursuing something within certain boundaries. We know when things get really unhealthy. But think about it. There's gonna be a time and maybe you're there already where you're thinking, you know, I'd really like some food, Dave. Are you almost done, you know? So there's a desire you have to eat. There's nothing wrong with that desire. Now it can get to unhealthy places, right? We all know that, but that's okay. There's a desire for respect and approval with our family and with maybe our close community, which is why among other reasons, we take showers and put on deodorant and cologne and different things like that so that we're acceptable in kind of polite culture, so to speak. Um, we have a desire for maybe knowledge to, to grow in our education or abilities or skills, or those things. We have a desire for love. See, all those things are okay. In fact, most of the things that we accomplish in life stem from some kind of desire to grow, to learn, to succeed, to move ahead, to provide for ourselves and our families. And again, within healthy boundary, there's there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, the Bible commends those things. But coveting is more than that. It's desire gone wrong. It's an out of control desire for what someone else has or is to the extent that it damages relationship. So I'm gonna give you four things today, I want you to write these down. The first is this, coveting exposes the heart of my problem. Now here's some convicting thoughts. I'm not just answerable to God for my actions, but I'm answerable to God for the thoughts that I have as well. You're not just accountable to God for what you do, but you're accountable to God for what you're thinking about doing. And if there's a part of you that goes, hey, wait a minute, but I I haven't done anything yet. And I know we all can kind of go down that perspective, but Jesus would have come back and said, exactly. You haven't done it yet, but guess where it starts? And God is so interested in our heart and in relationship and, our, and the very condition of our souls that he's going back to the core of all of these things. If you're there in Matthew chapter five, uh, we're gonna start at verse 21. I'm just gonna read a few verses here. But I want you to catch Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount when he begins to bring up 10 Commandments. And he doesn't go through all 10, but he gives a couple of examples here. And we've done these over these last few weeks because you really can't do the 10 commandments and teach on them and dig into them without going to Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount because he brings up the 10 commandments. And here's here's what Jesus said. He says, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. And if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Here's the twist. Jesus said, I say... If you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. And if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. And we go, whoa, 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 Wait, but those are different things. And I think if Jesus was like having coffee with you, he would say, they are different things. Doing an actual act of physically taking someone's life is much different than calling them a fool or thinking them foolish or an idiot or whatever, or being angry with them. Those are different things, but don't mistake the fact, and Pastor Brian talked about this, that they are are connected, they are in the same vein, that one will lead to the other. And so Jesus is getting down to the core. Now jump down to verse 27, same thing. He says, you've heard the commandment that says, don't commit adultery, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman or a man with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. There's something at the root here, and Jesus is saying, we've got to get down to the root thing because our heads and our hearts is where all of this is starting. And can I tell you, this is what coveting is. When you're entertaining the thoughts of having the affair, you're planting the seeds of your actions. When you begin to water the seeds of anger and frustration in your thoughts and in your heart, it's going to ripen in the direction of murder. So, see, these commandments, you know, breaking them, it, it doesn't just happen. It starts up here in our mind and here in our heart. This is where sin begins, it isn't accidental. And God knows it's a thought thing, it's a heart thing. And so he tells us over and over to guard our hearts and to guard our minds. Remember what God is about in these 10 commandments. He's saying, I'm not trying to make you good. I'm trying to keep you free. I'm trying to set you on a path of life and health. And the slavery of sin starts here and here. So honor God honor the people around you, and guard your heart and your mind. Write this down for number two. Coveting exposes my dissatisfaction with what God has given me. It almost seems to me when I read this passage that God gave this command for the age that we live in. And I know that's not true, because every age has had the things that, that kind of tempt us and you know, make us envious or jealous or whatever it might be. but. It seems to me, in in my perspective, that in Moses' day, you could covet someone's ox, but an ox was was an ox. But today, we have such an abundance and variation in goods and standards that this difference gets exploited everywhere we turn. And while I'm not gonna get on a soapbox, the advertising industry exists to make me and you dissatisfied with what we have, how we look, and what we experience, right? I mean, if you watch TV or you know, Netflix or YouTube and little you know, ads come up or you, on social media or newspaper, wherever you get your information, all the advertisements that you see are, are to generate a response from you so that you would look at maybe what you have or what you don't have and go, oh, man, if I only had that, or maybe it's next year's model or it's some new bell and whistle and you go, oh, man, now I'm dissatisfied with this because now I saw what, what's going on there. And we think our life isn't complete unless we have the, the newest or the coolest. And if you think, well, Dave, I'm not really into possessions all that much. That's okay. We, we can be, we can covet other things too. We covered other people's experiences, right? You go on social media, man, they're always going to Disneyland. Or you know, some friend of yours, man, they go on the coolest hunting trips, man, why don't I get to go on those kinds of things? Or you look at pictures of someone's house and go, man, that looks like Chip and Joanna just designed that, right? I, I don't know what your area is, but we all have one or more, and you can fill in your own blank there. That's when I look at those and go, oh, man. Look at the house that they just did and look at my house. It doesn't even compare. I think we're all guilty of this. We can see what someone else has or what they've accomplished or what they do and we find ourselves lacking or we think we're lacking. Even though it was fine yesterday. But now that we know, now that we've seen, it's different. So on this mission trip down to Mexico, uh, I rode in a truck with a neat guy named Rich, and uh, new truck, and man, it was beautiful driving down there and and you know what his truck smelled like? New car. (laughs) New seats, new, I got to drive it a little bit. Man, it's like a fighter cockpit, man. It's got a heads up display on the windshield. I mean, it was just amazing to do that. You know what my car smells like? It smells like grandson. That's what my car smells like. Grandson in a 10-year-old Subaru. And suddenly, suddenly, my perfectly fine car isn't good enough. Do You ever do this? We see online, we see the people around us, and we think, oh man, wish I could have that. I want a, I want a nicer car. I want shiny and manageable hair. (laughs) Well I do, (laughs) I really do. I want flat abs, I want all these things, right? I want that person's kitchen, I want the other bathroom, want a bigger TV, right? I mean, we can look at all those things, but then it gets deeper, right? I want respect and I want recognition wish I was a better leader and a better husband and a better man. I don't want my struggles, my weaknesses, my imperfections. You probably have your own list too. And then you look and go, why can't I be like them? Why can't I be like them? And we're told day after day by our culture that we don't have enough and we aren't enough. And life could be so much better if you could just have more of whatever, and the struggle is that it begins to plant seeds of frustration and dissatisfaction, and I look at you and what you have or what you are or where you go or any of those things, and here's here's the part that we don't ever let out because we don't like how it feels and how it sounds, but I begin to not like you because you have what I don't, And secretly, somewhere in me, I'm hoping something will come unraveled in you, that you'll lose something, lose a job, get taken down a notch. See, that coveting ruins relationship. Jesus said, beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life is not measured by how much we own. Can I tell you that as as people who live in in the Western world, we don't know what to do with a verse like that. Real life isn't measured by how much we own. We wanna own it, we wanna claim it, we wanna say, yeah, that's true. And the thing is, there will come moments and times in your life when you will completely recognize it when health issues hit, when family issues hit, when tragedy strikes, when all these things, then you realize, oh, all the stuff doesn't actually get me anywhere. There's something deeper, there's, there's something more. And see, the struggle with coveting is that it not only makes us dissatisfied with each other, because you have what I don't have, is it also makes us dissatisfied with God and we may not say this in a prayer, but somewhere in the, again, those deep recesses, we go, hey God, what's going on? Why did they get that? Why did they have that? Why is their family together? Why are their kids doing well? What about ours? I want mine, I deserve, I'm entitled. And we, we kind of shake our finger at God, not really, but kind of really. And we think God doesn't really know what he's doing. Coveting keeps us dissatisfied with what we have. But when what we don't have gets mixed up with what someone else does have, it gets uglier. Right, stuff for number three. Coveting causes me to devalue people. Coveting makes me elevate things and experiences and kind of life status and situations above real people. Do you remember a few years ago, in fact I think they made a TV movie out of it or something, but there was this mother of a cheerleader who actually uh, had another cheerleader's mom murdered because their daughters were competing for spots on the squad. Do anyone remember that? It was this crazy news story that that, that went on of these, these moms and murder, and these girls were like 13 years old, their daughters. You know what happened there? Envy and jealousy and coveting took root. It's the extremes of what can happen because it starts in the heart and works out into behavior. A total devaluing of someone else. Jesus was asked to sum up the commandments and here's what he said and we've done this before in this series but Jesus said you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your mind first and greatest commandment a second is equally important love your neighbor as yourself I want you to hear this when we're coveting what someone else has or is we're not loving them we're willing to walk right over them to get what we want It's what happens. We covet someone's job, and so we kind of hope that they'll fail. We covet someone's spouse or the kind of marriage they have. And maybe we make a subtle comment or we flirt a little bit, try to undermine their relationship. You know, in the Bible, King David had everything at his disposal. He was the king. He started as a shepherd, became the, the, the leader of a nation. In fact, in 1 Samuel, it says, for the Lord has sought out a man with his own heart and the Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people. He's talking about David. You've maybe heard that phrase, David was a man after God's own heart. And if you're looking for someone who desired to love and honor God, David was that man. But one night, even though he loved God, he let his desire spin out of control. He coveted someone else's wife and he wanted her. Even though he understood this 10th commandment, He let the seed of desire and discontent grow into adultery and ultimately into murder. And you know what happened in that? He dishonored and disvalued his wife. He dishonored and devalued Bathsheba, who was the woman he was coveting. He dishonored and devalued her husband, his family, their family, the nation. Coveting always puts our selfish desires and wants above real people. We don't care that our actions cause someone else's family to crumble or their world to cave in. We just want what we want and forget the consequences. And that's what coveting does. It it poisons our heart. And God knows it's the beginning of that destruction and wounds that are far deeper than we could even begin to conceive. We don't love our neighbor or care for our family or put others first when we covet. Coveting, I want you to catch this, is a violation of of love. It's a violation of love. That's why God included it in these 10 commandments. He wants us to walk in a different place. What is it? Write this down for number four. The antidote for coveting is contentment. Now, contentment is a word you don't hear much in our culture. And I'm not talking, when you, when you hear uh, contentment, don't, go to this place of, well, it's kind of a lack of ambition or they don't have challenging goals or a drive to move ahead. That, that's not what it is. Contentment is not synonymous with laziness. Contentment is a condition of the heart. A person can be, can be poor and be content or rich and be content or anywhere in between. Unlike that place of coveting, where we feel God isn't fair and I've been cheated, the contented person walks in a spirit of gratitude. All that I have comes from God. Here's what Paul said. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or little. Now listen to this. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Do you see what he does in this passage? It's this side and this side whether I have much or little, nothing or everything, uh, full stomach or empty, plenty or little. He he just goes back and forth. What has he found? He's saying, "I, I can be content in any situation because my contentment doesn't come from what I have or what I experience. My contentment comes from God himself. And you know where Paul wrote these words? In prison. He's writing about contentment in every situation while he's in chains. Because the contented person knows, like Paul, that when Christ is in your life, when Christ is the Lord of your life, you have all that you need and more than you deserve. When Christ is in your life, when Christ is the Lord of your life, I want you to hear this. You have all that you need and more than you deserve. I just look back at the Ten Commandments to figure out what I deserve. You ready for this? Full disclosure, I've broken every commandment. And some of you are going, wait, now that murder one, like where are you going with that, Dave? Well, again, we have to take the commandments and we have to marry them with Jesus' words in, uh, in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? We have to bring those together. Because when you, when you pull those together, man, I'm sorry, I, I, I go down through the list, right? I haven't always honored God as God, have you? I've struggled with the Sabbath, still do sometimes, you probably do as well. I haven't always honored my parents. I've murdered with my words. I've lusted, I've lied, I've stolen, I've coveted what belongs to someone else. We start going through it and we go, "Ah, I haven't kept, I mean I've broken every single one of them. So I know what I deserve. And here's what the Bible tells me, Romans 6 for the wages of sin is death. But, and I will say this, that is the greatest but in history, right there in Romans 6, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I've broken the commandments, I've fallen short, I know what I deserve, but the free gift of life comes in Jesus. And I look at what I've been given and here, here's just a few things. I have been given forgiveness. And there is a day that is coming that I will stand before God, blameless. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. I have been given salvation. I have been rescued and set free because of Jesus. I have been adopted into God's family. And that's not just a theological idea or a position. That is a personal claim. When I came to Christ, I was brought into the family of God. And I have been called a son of the Most High. All because of Jesus. In him, I have been given spiritual gifts. Bible tells us every single one of us when we come to him are given gifts the Bible lists many of them out. And so guess what? I serve him. I get to do this. I get to do this. I get to join him in the work that he's doing. But I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. It was a gift. I've been given the Holy Spirit, God's presence with me day in and day out. I have been given eternal life. And I get to spend eternity with God. And when this life is over in the not too distant future, I will be with him. And don't kid yourself, your life will be over in the not too distant future too. It might be one year or 10 years or 75 years, but all of us will come to the end of this life, regardless of how often you go to the gym, drink vitamin water or take protein shakes. But he's given us eternal life. And you know what else he's given me? this church family. It's a gift. It's a gift I get to to live in and be a part of, and you too. I can't even express how precious this gift is. And you see, I don't deserve any of those things. I haven't earned them, but God has given them because of his love. So I know what I deserve because I've broken the commandments and so have you. And those commandments just simply point out how much you and I are in need of a savior. And that's what God has given us, salvation and life and forgiveness and so much more. So much more. A place to live, food to eat, transportation. Do you know that all of us are in the top .001% on the planet? We've been given so much. So contentment, I want you to hear this. Contentment has more to do with who we know than what we have. Contentment has more to do with who we know than what we have. And we can find our contentment in him. Would you pray? Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. And We know we don't deserve it, Lord. We may not want to admit that we've blown through all of those commandments, but deep down we know we have. You didn't call us to perfection, you called us to faith, and belief. I pray, Lord, that we would today once again put our hearts and our faith and our trust and belief in you, that we would look to you for, for all that we need, Lord, that you are our provision, and we find content hearts in you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, this week is Thanksgiving. And if there was ever an appropriate time to put things in perspective around this, it's Thanksgiving. God has given and provided for each of us. So here's my challenge to you, enter into this week with true hearts of thanksgiving. Like, don't look towards Black Friday or, or, I mean, Christmas is coming, I'm all for that. But live in the moment this week. Live in a place of gratitude and contentment because God is good and he is for you. Psalm 23, one says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what? Everything I need. Would you stand with me? Hey, on your way out, if you are new to new life, make sure you stop by starting point. Uh, If you want to find out more, go to the orange umbrella. Other than that, have a wonderful Thanksgiving week. Give praise and glory to God for all that he has done. Thanks for being here today. You're dismissed.